Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing this morning? A couple of people are doing pretty good in here. A couple of you over there I'm not too sure about. Hi, I'm Pastor Jim. I'm the leadership development pastor here at the Bridge. And Pastor Farrell's given me the privilege to help us. Uh, he and I are working together to present this series that he kicked off last week that we're calling Breaking Bad. Can we start with a little pop quiz this morning? You like pop quizzes, right? I'm going to throw out a phrase, and if you recognize it, you finish it. As soon as you know it, jump in, okay? You ready? Uh, like father, like son. You got it. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. You got it. He's a chip off the old... I mean, I could go on, but you get the point. We live in a culture that understands very clearly that there are patterns that get developed in families. Can I get an amen? And sometimes those patterns are healthy, and sometimes they're not. Sometimes those are blessings, and sometimes the Bible calls them curses. We're talking about dysfunction. We're talking about things that are bad that need to be broken. So last week, Pastor Farrell told us we're going to spend a little time looking at the patterns of our own lives, learning the principles from Scripture that will help us to make sure that we are, in fact, passing on patterns of blessing to the next generation, and that we're breaking any patterns uh, of death or destruction or misery that might be recognized in our family, regardless of how they got there. By the way, if you missed that message, there's an email address you can write to, uh, info at bridgechurch.cc. We'd be glad to give you the manuscripts for the series or, or any messages that you missed. We'd be glad for you to have them. And also, if you're going to put anything on social media related to this series, use that hashtag Breaking Bad, so we can all see what we're capturing together. Last week, Pastor Farrell told us there were two key verses in this series. It begins with Psalm 127, verse 1. Put it up on the screen, so let's read it together. I want you to hear yourself reading the Word of God this morning. One, two, three, go. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. We discovered last week that the word house doesn't mean house built with sticks and stones and concrete and metal that in fact it is household. It is actually the Hebrew word baeth that means the generations of a family. It means the offspring. It means the household across the generations. And you need to know, in case you don't, that when God sees you, He sees the generations of your family in that moment. And He wants us to look at our families through that same lens at the same time. The question is, what does it mean to have the Lord build the house? Well, that's where the Deuteronomy 5 passage comes in, beginning with verse 10. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children of the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. Pastor Farrell told us last week, that does not mean, say it with me, that does not mean that God punishes children for what his daddy did. That's not what that means. But it means that when we make choices in life, those choices get passed on to the next generation. And if they're choices that are obedient to God, that operate within the way God designed us to live, then we pass on blessings. And if they're disobedient to God and to His Word, then we pass that on too, the misery that comes from it. So it's kind of like dropping a rock in a pond and every ripple is a generation. There are huge impacts. True to God's character, the impact goes to three or four generations if it's dysfunctional. It goes to a thousand generations if it's a blessing. And so we want to lean into that today and, and continue building on the foundation. Last week, we set some foundational truths in place that were here. You remember what they were? Truth number one is that there's a very real, powerful, spiritual world at force. Truth number two, 
God's in charge of it. Truth number three, the Bible is the standard by which all blessings and all curses flow. You want to know the answers, go to the owner's manual. It's the Bible. It's God's Word. Truth number four is that there's always a penalty for sin, and that penalty is death. The question is, we need to understand, what does that word death actually mean? It doesn't always mean physically die, and it doesn't mean always eternally die, but it always means the misery that's introduced when we sin. It's the Greek word thanatos, and any time we sin, we introduce misery into our lives and into our relationships. And then finally, the, the most important truth is Jesus paid the price for that. You don't have to live in that bondage. You can be, keyword last week, you can be free. All you have to do is hear and obey. That's it. And when you mess up, own up. That's simple. God bless you. Thanks for coming today. I mean, that's it, right? Actually, what we want to do today is we want to build on that foundation by adding some more truths to the generational aspects of this and understand the implications of that Deuteronomy 5 passage. And then Pastor Farrell's going to come and make some real practical application for us so that we'll understand uh, as we move forward how we can begin to implement that the Lord is building our house. So let's get into it. Truth number one is there is no such thing as a neutral family history. Say it with me. There is no such thing as a neutral family history. Do a little math with me this morning, okay? There's one thing that every one of us has in common. Every person in this room has this in common. You know what it is? We all have, at minimum, two biological parents, right? We all have four biological grandparents. We all have eight biological great-grandparents. And we all have 16 biological great-great-grandparents. That's a, that's a total of how many ancestors? Remember he said that if we disobey God's law, the implications are to the third and fourth generation? That tells me that in my life as an individual, there are at least 30 people whose life choices profoundly affect me. Got it? Now, if I'm married, double that number. We now have 60 people whose life choices profoundly affect Kim and I, right? Now, if you happen to be from a family where your parents were divorced and remarried, double that again. If your spouse comes from a blended family, double it again. If you were adopted, double it again. You hear what I'm saying? There are potentially hundreds of people, many of whom you've never even met, whose life choices have a profound impact on what's going on in your life today. We need to know there is no such thing as a neutral family history. They either passed on blessings or they passed on curses. Now, now I need to add one more element to that, and that is that these principles don't just apply to biological and adoptive families. These principles apply to spiritual families too. So many of us have spiritual mamas and daddies, people that were great influence in the forming uh, stages of our lives. Many of you have one now, uh, at least one, maybe more, and their life choices have a profound impact on your life. That came home to me a number of years ago when I was pastoring in Virginia, and a lady came into my office, and, and she said, Pastor, you've got to talk me out of this. You have got to talk me out of this. And I said, what's going on, Linda? She said, every time I get depressed, I want to commit suicide, and today it's almost overwhelming. I've 
I've been contemplating it all day. You have got to talk me out of this. So we began to explore a little bit about where that came from and why she struggled with that. And she didn't want to tell me. And I said, Linda, if you want me to help you, we've got to go to the root of this thing so we can deal with it. Where did it where's the, when's the first time you ever felt that way? She said, well, when I was a teenager, I walked into my pastor's study and I found him dead by his own hand. And from that day to this, every time I get down, I think that's the solution. You hear what I'm saying? We are profoundly impacted by the lives of the people before us, whether biological, adoptive, or spiritual ancestors. And we, more importantly, are biological, adoptive, and spiritual ancestors for somebody else. So we have to make decisions based on that because there's no such thing as a neutral family history. I reflect on my family history, and I see both. I see blessings, I see curses. My maternal family was a family that, that walked with the Lord for many generations. My grandmother was one of the most precious saints of God uh, you, you'd ever want to meet. She was a prayer warrior. She had to go to work in the cotton mill when she was nine to support the family, so she had to quit school, never learn to read. She prayed uh, earnestly, passionately, that God would help her to read so she could read her Bible. And I kid you not, she could read the King James Version of the Bible, but she could not read a newspaper. God gave her that ability. This is this precious in touch with God. Amazing stuff. I'm serious. Well, my mother grew up in that atmosphere, so she taught me about Jesus as a very young man. And so I am the recipient of all kinds of blessings simply because of some of the ancestors in my life. On the paternal side of my family, mom met dad, and he did not come from a Christian home. Uh, my grandmother, uh, his mother, knew nothing about Christ. And so he was reared in a uh, very irreligious kind of family, and, uh, and the implications are very profound on that side as well. For one, there is an inordinate number of alcoholics in my family. My dad was one of seven kids, six of whom were alcoholics. I mean, there's just a phenomenal number of them in my family. And yes, by the time I was in high school, alcohol had a grip on me that I had to find a way to break in Jesus' power. Of course, we all have stories from our families uh, that are far more insidious than that. My grandmother used to tell me the story about my great-grandmother. She said that she killed my great-grandfather. <clears throat> I don't know if that was true, but she always claimed that he, she, he, she pushed him down a flight of stairs and killed him. I didn't know whether to believe that tr true or not until a few years ago. My cousin did a little bit of family research, and she found my great-great-grandfather William's death certificate, and it reads, I kid you not, I have a copy, uh, died of a broken neck having fallen down a flight of chair stairs. He was 90 years old at the time. <laughs> now, I don't know if great-great-grandma helped him or not. But let's be honest, guys, we all got stories from our families we love to tell, and we got stories from our families we would rather nobody know about. Can I get an amen or a head nod in the house? It's true. There is no such thing as a neutral family history. Truth number two, the patterns that we inherit continue until you break them. They continue until you break them. That means that whether you have inherited a curse or a blessing, you get to decide in any generation whether it moves on, whether it gets broken. But you, they, they can only be broken, and this is what the Bible says, they can only be broken by word 
and deed. Let me explain what that means with an illustration that's profound. Matthew chapter 23 tells us the story of Jesus and his interaction with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. Uh, They were hypocrites. They were just harsh taskmaster kind of people. And Jesus reserved his harshest words for them. In fact, seven times he said, woe to them. I don't know exactly what woe means, but I really don't want Jesus to say woe to me. I I want him to say go to me, not woe, right? Got it? So Matthew 23, we've got Jesus saying some, some woes to these guys. And in this case, he's talking about their hypocrisy. Pick it up, verse 29. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Come on, Jesus, tell me what you really think, right? You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous, and you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourself that you are descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Let's see if we can follow what's, what's going on here and what was, what's just said. It, it, it's Jesus is saying to them, okay, you acknowledge, you admit that your forefathers murdered some of the prophets of God. You admit that readily, and you admit readily that it's wrong. In fact, you say that if you had lived in the day that they lived, you would not have done that. Well, that's a good thing, right? So they're saying, murder is wrong. We would not have done that if we lived there. Anybody agree with me that that's a good thing to say? That's a good thing to say. The problem is in verse 32. Jesus said, go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. You see, what's not clear in the text until you study it a little bit deeper is that Jesus knew in that moment that they were saying, we never would have done what our fathers did. They were plotting to kill Jesus himself. And he knew it. And so here's what he said to them. You guys are not only complicit in the pattern that's been passed on, you are perpetuating that pattern. And so if your children become murderers of the prophets, it will not be on your fathers, it will be on you. Because they broke the pattern by words, they did not break the pattern by deeds. Is this making sense? I mean, that's what the word repentance means. Repentance is not just, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. Repentance is I was headed this way and it's the wrong way. I'm going to head this way now. That's what we're talking about. And so if you recognize a pattern in your family that needs to be broken, don't just say, oh, that's bad. Don't just say, I wish that weren't here. Don't just say, man, if I had been alive when my granddad started that, I never would have joined him. You gotta make a change. You've got to change not just in words, but you've got to change in, in actions. So here it is. The good news is that if you've received a curse from your ancestors, lean in, get this, if you've received any kind of curse from your ancestors, but you act differently than they did, what happens? You break the curse. It does not have to go any further. Any curse can be broken at any time by any generation who decides that I'm going to hear the words of Jesus and obey the words of Jesus. Not just by word, but by deed. I'm going to break this curse. Anybody here glad that if you inherited any curses, they can be broken in your generation? Anybody here glad of that at all? I'm so glad. 
The bad news is, if you inherited blessings from the previous generations, hello, are you awake? And you act differently, then you can stop the flow of the blessings. I've heard so many people over the years say to me, Pastor Jim, uh, you know, my grandma was a, was a saint. My mama was a godly person but I'm not living that way. Well, do you understand that the only way the blessing can get passed from grandma to mama to your daughter or your son is if you carry it on yourself? You get to break the patterns that need to be broken. You get to continue the patterns that can be continued. But you got to understand there is no such thing as a neutral family history, and those patterns will continue until you break them. Truth number three, you ready? You don't have to know, here's good news, you don't have to know your ancestors in order to break them. You don't have to know your ancestors in order to break a curse that has worked. I never knew my grandfather on my dad's side, never met him. I finally got a picture of him just a couple of years ago, never even seen a picture of him all my life. I never knew any of my great-grandparents uh, or great-great-grandparents, never knew any of them. Uh, and so I really have no idea where the pattern of alcoholism in my family comes from. I don't know who started it. I don't know how many people were doing it. I just know that that pattern is real. And I could not break the pattern until I recognized the pattern, even though I had no idea where it came from. Does that make sense? The Exodus version of the Deuteronomy 5 uh, passage kind of explains this for us. So let's look at that. Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. Here we go. And God passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and bounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty. In other words, I'm not saying it's okay. I'll just forgive you. All you got to do is, is say, oh, I blew it, and I'll forgive you but visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Same passage, companion passage to Deuteronomy 5, but there's a key word in this passage, in this one. What is it? You see the key word? I put them in yellow for you. You see what they are? It's the word iniquity. Now, you may or may not be familiar with that word. You may not use it very often. You may not walk around using it in a sentence at work, but here's what it means. It's the Hebrew word avon, and avon literally means an unnatural bend or twist. That's what the word means. In fact, the best illustration I know of is a bent tree. I think we've got a picture of one. Can we bring it up? You ever seen one of these trees like this? It grows for a while, and then it turns, and then eventually it turns back up. What do you know about this tree? I see a couple of things immediately when I see it. I see that this tree is doing everything it can to get toward the sun. That's what trees do, right? They, try to, they go straight for the sun. But there had to be something here that blocked that tree from growing up. So what did it do? It went sideways to get past the obstacle, whatever it was. And as soon as it could get past the obstacle, it turned back up again. Does that make sense? What was the obstacle? We don't know. I mean, it could have been another tree. It could have been a building that was built there. It could have been an outcrop of rock that got removed eventually. But all we know is that there was something here that kept that tree from going straight to the sun. It had to turn and fight its way. It actually grew down a while before it started growing back up until the obstacle was removed. We don't know what the obstacle was. We just see the pattern that was created. Therefore, we know there must have been one. That's what the word iniquity means. 
So when you see it, it's an unnatural bend or an unnatural twist. Hear me, guys. We were made to worship God. We were created in His image. There is a God-shaped void in every one of our lives, and, and there's, there's a longing in every person's heart to fill that void. And we try to fill it with stuff. We try to fill it with, with money and parties and relationships and, and, and accomplishments and all. But none of it fits because it's a God-shaped void. And it, it, it's what it is, is we're trying to grow to the sun. S-O and not S-U. And does that make sense? But something created an unnatural bend. In fact, the Bible gives us lots of those kinds of patterns. We'll take just a moment and look at a couple of them. Deuteronomy chapter 28 actually lists uh, the first 15 verses of that chapter. So here's some patterns of blessing. And then you get to verse 16. And so here's some patterns of curses. So we're going to read through this list just very quickly, and if you identify any of those things as patterns in your family, then it might be an indicator that your tree is bent, and it's time to do something about it, to get it out of the way for the sake of your future generations, not just for you. Make sense? So let's read the list, and I need to say quickly before we read it that just because you recognize one of these patterns in your life does not necessarily mean that there's a generational curse at work, okay? There may be some physiological reason why you're dealing with this. There may be some environmental reason why you're dealing with this. There may be something in your behavior that's causing this, right? But nevertheless, if you can't identify a behavior or an environment or something like that that's causing it, then there might be a generational curse at work, and you need to identify it. So we've got a short list here, uh, and, and there's more. Here we go. Uh, number one is a chronic financial insufficiency. Verse 17 talks about this. There's just never quite get there. No matter how hard we try, we, bu- we budget, we tithe, we do everything we can, and we just never quite get there. And as we look back over our family, our family has a history of, of just always being, uh, you know, out of money before we're out of month. And we just never can get past that, that point. That might be an indicator that there's a curse at work. Verse 18 talks about barrenness or difficulty in getting pregnant. Again, there might be a physiological reason for that, uh, you know, and you'll need to see a doctor about that, but there might not be. There's actually a family in the church we pastored in Virginia that came to me one day, and, uh, and the lady, they were both in their 40s, had been married for 20 years, had been trying to have children all those years, and were never able to have children. They went to every doctor they could find, and every doctor said, we see no physiological reason for either one of you not to be able to bear kids. We don't know what's going on. We can't explain it to you. She said, I sat in this series when I taught this, these principles at that church. She said, I sat there, and when we got to this one, I realized a flash in my mind when I was 18 years old and I had been acting out big time. I was in the drug world and alcohol, and I was, I was just driving my mother crazy. And I remember sitting on the floor of the bathroom crying and my mother standing over me and sticking her finger in my face and saying, I hope you never have kids who put you through what, uh, what you put me through. And she said, in that moment that I realized the connection between those two things, I forgave my mother and I'm pregnant. <laughs> Just a few months ago, this past October, Kim and I had the privilege to go back to Chesapeake to water baptize our oldest grandson and young girl that was in that baptismal service is Rebecca, who is the product of that pregnancy 10, 12 years ago. So there might be a pattern. Who knows? 
Number three is, is mental or emotional breakdown. Verse 20 talks about confusion among you. Would you say that that's a characteristic of America, of America these days? There's just phenomenal confusion. People are confused about right and wrong. They're confused about politics. They're confused about gender. I mean, it's phenomenal what's going on in America these days that we never thought we'd have to struggle with, but that as a nation, there may well be a pattern, a curse that's been formed because the Bible is clear. clear. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. When that ceases to be true, the blessings are out. Chronic sickness is talked about in verses 21 and 2. And again, you know, we can get sick and we can have patterns of sickness. But if you look back over your family, and you've probably heard the expression, well, you know, that family's just kind of sickly. If that's an indicator, an identifier of your family, then maybe there's a curse at work. Relational or marital breakdown is one of the ones that's mentioned uh, in verses... uh, uh, verse 30 talks about it. And this is a pattern, this is another one of those patterns I've recognized in my family. My paternal grandmother was divorced in 1925 when nobody ever heard of anybody being divorced, right? And there are a phenomenal number of divorces in my family. I have one brother and one sister. We have seven marriages between us. And Kim and I are still in our first marriage. You do the math. You hear what I'm saying? They're patterns that get established, and sometimes that's the pattern that needs to be, to be broken. Um, uh, and, and for the record, Kim and I are thrilled because all three of our sons married girls whose parents have been married for 40 and 50 years, and so we have this hope, this, this anticipation that their marriages are going to last. No guarantee every generation gets to make its own choices, but at least we know that our boys have inherited a pattern and their wives have inherited a pattern of we stick through it even when it gets tough right? So it's, it passes on blessing. Six is, a, is foreign dominance over your children. It, does that speak to America these days? I mean, how many of our young men and women are overseas somewhere in some God-forsaken country, and we're back here worried and praying, hoping they get back safely? I mean, it impacts all of us in, in profound kinds of ways, known as a source of ridicule or laughing stock. Sometimes there are patterns in families where, where people just tend to make fun of them. And one of the most profound ones that I see a lot of is that you always seem to feel like you're behind your peers. Verses 43 and 4 talks about that. And no matter how hard you try, it looks like all of your peers are doing better than you. And sometimes it's not even true. Sometimes you're doing better than they are. But in your mind, you still think you're running behind all the time. I'm a failure, I'm a failure, I'm a failure. That can be a pattern, a curse that's in your life that needs to be broken. And so all I'm saying to you is you don't have to know who started it. You don't have to go to Ancestry.com and dig into your family tree. Feel free, nothing wrong with that. But you don't have to go figure out who started this thing. The fact that there is a pattern in place tells you that somewhere it started. But remember what I told you? Any curse can be broken in any generation by your church choices of words and deeds. Here's how Solomon put it, Proverbs 26, 2. Like a fluttering sparrow or darting swallow, an undeserved curse does not come to rest, which says that if there's a curse that's come to rest, then it must be deserved. Somebody did something somewhere. You can break that pattern. In fact, Pastor Farrell told us last week, the whole point of this four-message series, this four-weekend series, is to help us all recognize patterns. For us to come to that place where we say, it stops now. 
The last message in this series, the last weekend of the series, the weekend of June 5th, that's what we're going to do. We're going to put a stake in the ground. We're going to stomp our feet. We're going to make a decision that from this point forward, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You don't want to miss that service. It's going to be powerful because we're going to break some patterns on that day. I'm setting in motion patterns of blessing from my kids and my grandkids. Again, biological, adoptive, or spiritual all curses can be broken. All curses can be broken. Did I say all? What does all mean? It means all of them. All curses can be broken. How do I know? Because I know the Bible says it and because I've lived it. My paternal grandmother came south for a few years back in the 70s and my mother led her to the Lord. She went back to Canada, which is where my dad was from, and she led her youngest son to the Lord, who eventually led five of his six kids to the Lord. I hadn't heard from my family in many years because they were on the Canadian side and we're down south and because they were far from God and, and we're followers of Christ. And so my memories as a kid of going to wall family gatherings are not pleasant memories, if you know what I mean. Lots of drinking and lots of fighting and all that stuff. And so we just sent Christmas cards. That was about it. But about 10 years ago, I got a call from my Uncle Bill. He's 90 now. About 10 years ago, I got a call out of the blue. Hadn't heard from him since my dad's funeral in 1971. He was too drunk to go to the service. That's my last memory of Uncle Bill. I get a call and he says, hey, is this Jim? Yes, it is. He said, I heard you're a pastor. And I said, yes, sir. He said, we want to come worship with you. And I went, Uncle Bill Wall from Canada? <laughs> yeah, we want to come worship with you. Turns out, Uncle Bill had been teaching creation science seminar, uh, seminars all over eastern Canada. There are pastors and worship leaders, a missionary to Africa, principal of a Christian school. There's been this amazing revival in my family in Canada that I had no knowledge of until that phone call that day because somebody led somebody to Jesus and somebody said, this thing stops now, and now I see a whole wave of revival in my family because of it. Hallelujah. So go back to the picture. Can we see that picture of the tree again? What happened as soon as the obstacle was removed? It shot straight toward the sun, buddy. All you got to do is get the obstacle out of the way. The curse that's been adopted has to get out of the way. And as soon as that happens, here we go, Jesus. I am, what was the key word last week? I am free. Pastor Farrell's coming. Welcome. God's man for the hour. That's right. Don't you forget it. How about that? Who thinks this needs to be taught in the church? I tell you, listen, it's not always comfortable what you're hearing. I don't know about you, but as we've gone through this, I've been uncomfortable in some of the things I've heard because I saw me, I saw me doing some things that I need to recognize and take action to stop it because God has said if you'll submit your life to me you can stop these negative thanatos death curses that you're passing down to your family you know Jim's gotten really serious about this series got so serious that he went to ancestry.com looked up his own family tree and guess who was way back up in there was the name Trump. 
And he found out that, you know, Donald Trump's great-great-great-great-grandfather had even said, one day I'm going to build a wall, a gym wall. That's all I got. That's all I got. That's as good as the humor is going to get. All right. So we're talking about parents. And I know everybody here is not a parent. Jim just made the point. Biological parent, uh, adoptive parent. And I know some kids who have adopted some parents. Don't you? I know that too. How many of you, your parents have blessed you but maybe they weren't always available or you couldn't get to them. So you had some other people in your life you kind of adopted as parents. So, you know, don't go out of here or don't sit there right now and go, well, this isn't for me. I'm not a parent yet. Or, uh, you know, I'm never going to be a parent. The doctors told me I'm never going to. Yes, you're an influencer. Somebody's looking to you for a model. Somebody's looking to you for a word. Somebody's looking to you to learn something for their life. So this applies to everybody. Let's look at three ways really quick. We shape our kids by the priorities we model. So we're talking about modeling. We're going to talk about training, and we're going to talk about speaking to your children. But you got to walk it out first. What are some things we say? Hey, boy, don't do as I do, do as I... But you know that actions speak louder than words. People are looking. Your kids are looking. Not just your kids. Your kids, sure. But others. Listen, when you say you're a Christian... When you just say, I'm a follower of Jesus, how many of you know you're under the microscope right then? If you let everybody at church, uh, everybody at, uh, well, you need to let everybody at church know you're a Christian, but if you let everybody at work know, hey, I go to the bridge, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a Christian, then you are scrutinized differently, aren't you? You're looked at differently. And a lot of those people might be looking at you, you know, to find some fault or find, uh, you know, nitpick some imperfection in your life. But a lot of people, once you say that, are going to be looking at you because they want to learn. They want to learn how a Christian lives, how a Christian walks out their life. So modeling is very important. The spiritual environment in the home either influences children to follow God, embrace the Lord Jesus Christ, which leads to a blessed life. But I also know home environments where really it is modeled to ignore God. And sometimes I think indifference toward God hurts him more than rejection. Just, I don't care. You know, there's um, when you look at the audience who was around the cross on the day Jesus died on the cross, you, you can see a lot of different personalities there. And one of the primary personalities or one of the primary ways that they viewed him was this huge crowd that was just indifferent to him. They weren't for him. They weren't against him. They just were indifferent. And in a lot of homes today, children are being brought up to not really reject Jesus. There's probably some of that. But I think what we're seeing is just indifference. And it breaks God's heart. And when you model before a child to be indifferent toward the Lord, that is that thanatos, that death, that cursed life that you're going to model before them. As parents, we've got to be keenly aware, acutely aware that our spiritual priorities are very likely to be the spiritual priorities of our children. Um, 
this tells my age a little bit, Jim's age. How many of y'all remember Harry Chapin's song, Cats in the Cradle? Cats in the Cradle. And there's a line in that song, and I won't go into the song. I could have read the whole song. We probably will somewhere in this series because it applies so powerfully. Um, he had modeled in his son's life the kind of father he was supposed to be. And then later, the, the line was, my boy, what, is just like me. My boy is just like me. And so we see it even in secular culture that they recognize these patterns. Let's go to the Old Testament again, to the book of Deuteronomy. Everybody say this out loud with me. The Old Testament, let's try it again. The Old Testament is still applicable. It's relevant. It's relevant to your life. It's relevant to my life. Don't ever say, oh, I'm a New Testament person. No, here's what you want to say. I'm a Bible person, and that includes both covenants, the old and the new, because we see Jesus in both. So let's look at Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 9. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, which means your entire being, everything that you are, love him with all that you are. Verse 6, these commandments, this word of God, the truth of God, following the truth of God. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your... So it's not just enough to be intellectual, it has to be in the heart. Look at the next slide. We begin with verse 7. I want you to notice something. Verse 7 says, impress them. That means impress these commandments on your children. It says, talk about them. And then you later see where it says... Tie them, and then later it says, write them. So let's read it. Impress the Word of God, impress the commandments, impress them on your children. Now, guys, that is not a suggestion. That is a what? Commandment. Impress the Word of God on your children. Talk about the Word of God, the commandments, them. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. And when you lie down and when you get up. Other than that, you don't have to talk about it. Just talk about it when you sit. Talk about it when you walk. Talk about it when you lie down. And talk about it when you get up. That's the only time you have to talk about the Bible. What is he saying right there? It ought to be constant. It ought to be constantly in our conversation. You know, you don't have to go around your house quoting the King James Version. Just teach your children the principles. Teach them a principle and then say, you know, Jesus said da-da-da-da-da. So you taught them something they didn't know was in the Bible, and then you showed them that the principle you just taught them or the model you just asked them to walk out, hey, Jesus talked about that. So you do that. Now notice this. He goes on. Tie them as symbols on your hands. And they actually did this. They put the scripture on parchment and then they would tie it to their arms. They had an apparatus, they had a, a leather um, strap thing that they would put on their arm. And this, this symbolized doing, modeling, not just knowing the Bible, quoting the Bible. Um, and I've run into people who uh, try to really are, are prideful about their knowledge of the Bible. And he's not teaching that right here. He goes, you know, you can be prideful about your knowledge of the Bible, but it's a whole other thing to actually do the Bible. You all with me? So he said, tie them to your arm. Tie them um, 
uh, as symbols on your hands and bind them on your heads. They actually had an apparatus that they wrote scripture and put it on their head. I saw it recently. There was a, a man praying at the Wailing Wall, and he had a, they're called phylacteries. It was a, a thing that he had put on his head, and in that little box was scripture on that box. And uh, that, of course, teaches us that we need to have the Word of God in the things we do, and it needs to be in our mind. It needs to be how we make our decisions, the Word of God. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house. And they actually did this in the Old Testament, and uh, I'm sure do to this day, especially the Orthodox Jew. Write them on uh, the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And the emphasis there is, that when you live by the word of God, he went on to tell the Jews right after this commandment in Deuteronomy, if you'll do this, you will inherit the promised land, which means that's abundant life now. You guys do know that the abundant life Jesus wants for us is not just in the sweet by and by in heaven. It's in the nasty now and now. And so he says, you'll get the promised land now. He said, but you'll also get eternal life in heaven. And so... He's teaching them the importance of walking in that blessing and walking in the curse and how to walk in blessing. So when it comes to your role as a parent, the most important thing you're going to model before your children has to do with the spiritual issues, has to do with the eternal issues. I know Mark, uh, Mark Peck's sitting up here. I know he gets tired of me picking on him, but um, he's really into sports and uh, my little buddy Nate down there, he's into it. Nate's a good pitcher. He was telling me today uh, how good a pitcher Nate is. But let me tell you about this house, this home. It's all about Jesus in this house. It's all about the Word of God. You know what I run into? I run into parents who are way more concerned about their children doing well in school, going on to get that college education, so they'll go on to get that power and that position and that money. Now listen, I'm not against that. I don't think those are bad priorities to have. Here's what bugs me, is they don't ever talk about eternal things to their children. They don't ever talk about God stuff. They, it's like, well, we'll just drop them off at Royal Rangers or we'll come to church and we'll drop them off at Kid Church. Let me tell you something. Can I just say this to you? God didn't call me to raise your children. God called you to raise your children. And you're responsible for their spiritual walk with God. Even if you go to a church that has no children's ministry, so what? You are the parent. You have the children's ministry. Let them hear you teach it and see you live it. It's way more powerful than anything we can do in Royal Rangers or Impact Girls Club or Children's Church. We are just a supplement to you. We're not the main thing, and you guys do what you can. You're the main thing, and we just do what we can here at the church. Does that make sense? And what breaks my heart is I see parents all the time just dropping their kids off, and I know that's about the only Bible their kids get. Because what they hear is, I want you to be a sports star. I want you to be education. All those things are fine. My boys went to sports. My boys went to college. All of that. I mean, I got one son who crammed four years into eight. It was awesome. <laughs> but I'm telling you right now, guys, the spirit, the eternal stuff, the eternal stuff. Let me close, which means what? Nothing. Number two, we shape our kids uh, also by the way we train them. Look at this scripture. You know this scripture. Proverbs 22, 6. Train, it means equip. It means mature. 
train a child, mature a child in the way he should go. That means train him, teach him to seek God's wisdom and will for his, excuse me, for his abilities and for his talents. And then the Bible says something, and I know it's almost like you want to argue with this. And when that child is old, he will not turn from it. You're like, Pastor, I've got adult children that I poured Jesus into them. I poured Jesus into them, took them to church. I taught it at home. We modeled it at home. And I'm telling you, Pastor, when they became adults, they went their own way. They did turn from it. You know what that verse means? It doesn't mean that they won't choose their own path that is not what you modeled and not what you taught. Here's what that means. It means they'll never forget it. They'll never forget what you taught. And some of you have got children have gone wayward and you're waiting for them to come back. Let me tell you something. If you sowed those seeds in them when they were young, hang in there. Keep trusting God. The Bible says they think about it. Oh, they don't act like they think about it. They don't want you to know they think about it. They make comments to make you think they don't ever think about it, but you listen to me. You sowed those seeds. Those seeds are in them, and they think about the truth that you put in them when they were little and their hearts were tender. They can never get away from it. So don't quit believing for those adult children that aren't following the Lord the way you want them to. Keep believing. You say, well, Pastor, I wasn't too good of a parent. I didn't sow those seeds. Well, you trust God to put those seeds in them. And you know what? It's never too late to start modeling. It's never too late to start modeling in front of them. It's never too late to start training them. I was with my son. Uh, he's about 36 years old. And I was with him during Mother's Day. Millie and I weren't here Mother's Day weekend because we were with our son, Brandon, and his wife, Amy. And uh, I got to spend about two hours with him. And we sat there and cried and just talked about God and talked about the Bible. And I just love him so much. And, and it was just a great chance that I would have never had. Thank you all for letting me get away once in a while and, and be a dad like that. And I just saw in him, and I, he's got some questions right now, and, and all, you know, most kids go through that. But we sat there, and he remembered all the things we had taught him. He remembered, and we had a wonderful time. You know what that told me? That told me that even though he was 36 and not 6, he still wanted to hear from his daddy. He still wanted his daddy to speak life into him. And I spoke that life into him. And, you know, when I was a young dad, I was like, you just do it because I said it. Well, when they get 36, that really don't work that well anymore. Matter of fact, it really didn't work that well back then. I just thought it did. But, um, but I was just loving toward him. And, and I said, God's patient, and he doesn't mind any question you ask. We just had a wonderful time together. My point in saying that is, those older adult children that some of you have, or maybe you're not really their parent, but they've kind of adopted you as a parent, hey, listen, don't ever stop talking about it. And the best way, if you're talking to somebody about the Lord and you know they don't want to really hear it, talk about it in the sense of your life. Just say, you know, I'm not telling you what to do, but I'm just telling you that when I went through that, I prayed 
I read my Bible, I talked to my pastor, and I talked to my church, and man, they got me through it with all my Christian friends and Jesus praying and the presence of the Holy. It got me through it. And then you're not telling them, do this, do this, do this. Does that make sense? Because they just will reject it. They just won't receive it. Now, sometimes they will, and God will give you that discernment of when and how to speak. Let me give you uh, the last one, number three. We shape our kids not only by the priorities we model, by the way we train them, but we shape our kids by the way we speak to them, what we say to them. Do you all know words are powerful? Words are powerful. Let's look at a couple of scriptures. Proverbs 18, 21 says, The tongue, the tongue speaking, has the power of life and death. Now that goes right along with what we've been preaching. And those who love it, those who love to talk, that's what that means. Those who love to talk will eat the fruit of what you say. Because uh, how many of y'all know people who love to tell you how to, don't point at anybody, but they love to tell you how to do everything. I mean, they, there's nothing they're not an expert on. So those people love to talk. And the Bible says when you love to talk, you're going to eat the fruit of your words. Because the tongue has the power of life and death. And when you speak it to your children, you're either speaking death to them or you're speaking life to them. Look at Proverbs 12, 18. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings what? Healing. Now, when you, when you want to give your child a hug, are y'all with me? Just say, God. God, Jesus, I know how I want to react to this, but give me what? Wisdom. Give me wisdom. Give me Holy Spirit control. You say, I want self-control. That's what your problem is. Your self is controlling. What you want is some Holy Spirit control. Amen? So when you're ready to give them a hug, just go, God, please. Help me to say what they need to hear because what you want is you want to bring healing into that. I remember something um, uh, my mom would do once in a while when she didn't want to, you know, just really get angry. She would go, that just hurts me. Boy, how, do you, how many of y'all know when mom says something like that, you're like, I was going to really fight back on this, but I didn't know I hurt her. So you, you, that's wisdom when you speak words like that. Those words bring healing. They bring conviction, but they bring healing. Look at Proverbs 15, 4. The tongue that brings what? The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue, what does that do to a child? Crushes their spirit. Look at James 3.10, and this is Christians right here. This is James talking to Christians. He goes, here's what's bugging me, James says. What's bugging me is that out of the same mouth of Christians comes praise and cursing. Amen. Amen. Y'all been in church long enough, you know that's true. Glory. Hallelujah. And then you get out there in the parking lot and tell somebody they're number one. Of the same mouth. Some of y'all, y'all getting it. It's kind of like rolling, you know. Oh, he's talking about the bird. One out of the same mouth comes what? Just praising God in there. Now, you know, you say, well, I can't help it. 
I can't control it. I get upset. I, get, I, I lose control, and I just can't help it. Well, then tell me this. If you can't help it, if you can't control your speech, tell me why you can be fussing at the children, cussing, just raring and going at, church, at home, and all of a sudden the phone rings, and you pick it up and go, Hello. Or you're on your way to church and, and the little demon-possessed toddlers are in the back and they're just tearing each other up and, they're, and you're fussing and then you get out in the parking lot and you go, praise the Lord, good morning, <laughs> hallelujah. You know why we can do that? Because we can control it. We can. I can't control it. My daddy was like that. Well, what do we need to do if that's true? Break it. Break it with you. Let it break with you. So then what do we do? When people speak those words that hurt us, or we as a parent speak those words, maybe you as a, an adult, you, you had words spoken to you. You'll never mount anything. They'd think of the biggest loser they knew and go, you're going to be just like, and they just put that in you. I'm telling you, when you hear words like that, I hate you, and I wish you'd never been born. I'm telling you, man, those words, they come out little, but when they imprint on the heart, they're big and bold, and they're hard to shake. So what do I do, Pastor? What do I do? Because it's like a lid on my life. Every time, Pastor, I think I'm going to go to the next level in my career. Everything I'm, every time I think I'm going to go to the next level in my relationships, I hear those words that I'm a nobody. That I mean, they just come. Here's what you got to do. you got to forgive the one who said them. You say, but they don't even care if I forgive them. That really doesn't matter at all. Free yourself. When you forgive, it frees you. It may not free them, but it frees you. So you got to forgive them. you got to, mm, that's going to take some work. It's a process. It's a process, but you can do it. The next thing you got to do is you got to recognize the words of that person as a tool of the enemy. What did the Bible say last week? Our battle, our war is not with what? Flesh and blood. What does that mean? It's not with humans. Our battle is with the spiritual world, the dark world, the Bible said last week. That tells us, that if we'll recognize when somebody speaks that to us, that, that that's a tool of the enemy. And we don't see them. We just see the enemy able to use them. Maybe because of some wound or hurt in their life, they speak out of that wound. So if you hold that against them and you look at them as the originator of that language, then you're just going to hold it against them. See it as what it is. It's a tool of the enemy. The next thing you have to do is you have to not let it define you. Because some of you have. You think you are a loser. You think the things that were spoken to you, you are that. You believed them. And you go, no, 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 Pastor, I don't believe them. But you do because you, you dwell on those things more than you dwell on what the Bible says about you. So you've got to understand that you, you, through the power of God, by submitting to God, by walking in intimacy with God, you're able to look at those words and go, that's not who I am. You won't be able to do it without God. But God will help you not let the words that were spoken to you define you. And then finally, and, and i got to tell you, man, this is where it's at, is you've got to release those words that were said to you you got to give them to Jesus. Now, let me tell you what that looks like for me. And I'm weird, but I'll tell you what that looks like for me. 
when I hear those voices from my past, maybe a school teacher or just somebody I had a lot of confidence in, even after I went in the ministry, there were people I had a lot of confidence in who said some hurtful things to me. And once in a while, I just really hear those things. I really hear those voices. Let me tell you what I do. You do what you want to do. This isn't in the Bible. You don't have to do it this way. But I send Miss Millie shopping, or I send her somewhere, and I say, baby, I just need some time. And she'll go. She'll go wherever. I try to hold on to the credit card, but I let her go. <laughs> and she'll go off with Deanne sometimes. And I get by myself in my house. And I say, God, this was said to me, and this was said to me, and this was said to me. And Lord Jesus, I'm just going to unload this off of me, and I'm going to let you carry this. What did he say in Hebrews? Cast your care on me because I care for you. But there's a, to me personally, there's just an event. There's an event where I set aside some time and I say out loud. Sometimes I say it really loud. So if you come by my house to visit me and I'm in one of these times, you're going to think I've lost it. Because I'm in the house and I'll yell it out sometimes. Because I want, you know, when the enemy is speaking, I want to get louder than he does. That's just me. But I want to get louder and I'll say, the Bible says I'm this. And the Bible says I'm this. And the Bible says Jesus did this for me. And the Bible says God did this for me. And the Bible says God loves me. And the Bible says I'm not that and I'm not that and I'm not that. And I'm a child of the king. And he loved me so much he died for me. And I'll just go back to vacation Bible school stuff. I learned in vacation Bible school. And I'll begin to speak that word and claim that word over me and release it to Jesus. And I don't know what it does for you if you've ever done anything like that that but it's like man the burden is lifted now later down the road the enemy might try to creep those things back in it's time to get back on your face and fight that war again it has to be done it's constant the enemy's going to use this against you now here's what we're about to do we're about to pray and I'm going to ask the staff who's available, if they will, to get ready to come up here any of our prayer team guys if you'll come in just a little while and pray with people let me tell you this, because I want this to end on a, on a focus on God uh, note. As you're exiting today, if you're new to our church, if you'll go to your left, right across from the bookstore, we're having a quick meeting called Connections, and we want to help you get more connected into the church. So if you're interested in learning that, as you leave today, go left, and Pastor Andy will talk to you. Now here, here's what I want to leave with you today. The next two Sundays, the next two Thursdays at our Goldsboro campus and Sundays there and here, the sermon is so important. It's so important because we are really, now we got into some nuts and bolts today, but we're going to really get into how to do this, how to live the blessed life. Really practical stuff. So don't miss, if you have to be out of town, man. Make sure you catch these next two sermons because it's going to be where the rubber meets the road. Now, I believe there's some people here who are going to need prayer today. And so after I pray, I'm about to pray. After I pray, if you'll come, we'll be happy to pray with you uh, here at the end of the service. Would everybody stand?